Welcome to Divergent Unicorns, a podcast created to provide actionable steps to people that have been typically underrepresented in the venture and startup landscape. I'm your host, Behavia Stewart. And I'm your host, Ema Essien. We are both HBCU VC fellows and have experience in venture capital. On this episode, we have Don Myers, founder and CEO of The Most, a startup in the beauty market that is helping provide products to groups that have been typically underrepresented. She also serves as a director of the Veneta Project, which is an organization looking to help female founders acquire capital for their companies. She also is a graduate of Boston College and Howard University. Let's hop on into the interview. So hello everyone, we are here with Dawn Myers. She is the founder of The Most. So Dawn, your current startup does a great job at capturing the very large beauty market and services a subsegment of that market that is often overlooked, the black hair market. So the most, it helps address some of the problems that people of color have when shopping for hair products. Can you tell us why you decided to develop a solution that solves some of these problems? Yeah, you know, I think the natural hair segment for women of color and women with textured hair has exploded in recent years. It's been amazing to watch. When I cut my hair off, you know, maybe a decade and some change ago, um, there were no products on the market. I mean, I was stuck using just like regular olive oil and aloe from the sunscreen aisle. But, you know, now we've got all these beautiful, beautiful liquid product brands, but women are still struggling. We're still trying to figure out what the process is. We're still trying to figure out, um, you know, how to make this process more efficient. A lot of us spend a lot of time, hours, styling our hair with every wash. And uh, it just makes, it makes our lives even more complicated. And so, I, you know, I just, I was really having a lot of trouble spending all that time and um, still being able to maintain my career and maintain my athletic life. And so I I just really got tired of it. And so I started making a solution. Um, And as I started to do the research, I found that there were lots of other women who had the same pain points. Every person I talked to was the same thing, detangling and applying their liquid products. That's where they were spending the most time. And so I said to myself, all right, let's figure out a solution. Yeah. So one, you do have like amazing and beautiful natural hair. So like prior to your big chop, you had processed hair. Oh yeah. Super processed hair. I always had a perm. Um, and you know, that was a way of life for me. And I knew my permed hair, like I really understood how to make it do whatever I needed it to do. Um, but learning my natural hair was a whole like five year, half a decade process. And what we're finding now is that as more women go natural, they're going through that same process of trying to figure out what that process should look like for them. And so with the most and with our featured product, the mint, we've essentially mechanized the process of styling on your wash day. So, you know, our tools do all the work for you. Um, They capture the right products. They condition those products so that they're at the right temperature so that you can get full penetration. It detangles your hair. It applies your liquid, your conditioned liquid products to your hair. And so essentially what we're doing is making this process easily repeatable so that women can wash their hair I mean, this sounds like a really simple thing, but there are a lot of women of color who, I mean, a lot of times we can't wash our hair when our scalp is dirty because we just don't have the time. And so, you know, that to me is unconscionable. And we want to make sure that no woman ever has to make a choice between their style or just basic hygiene again. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about your solution, um, the mint? Yeah. So the the mint is... Um, and for, for background, people always ask, why did you call it the mint? We called it the mint because um, we're trying to, one of the things that we learned as we had these conversations with women is that um, there's no language around some of these processes. When we talk about applying the liquid products to our hair and that process of detangling and all the steps that go into this process, there are no names for it. And when you don't have a language for a thing, it's very difficult to ideate around it. And so what we're trying to do here is bring not only solutions, but also a language to some of these processes that we as a community are just kind of rediscovering 
discovering and figuring out. And so we thought about the process of minting a penny, just like minting your curl or minting your kinks. Um, we wanted to think about you know that process of really getting it hydrated and into place. Um, and and so that's what we call this process the, the or this this machine this appliance the mint. And basically what it does is it's a product that um, streamlines the process of detangling and applying whatever your liquid products are, your curl creams, your oils, your gels. And basically how it works is it leverages uh, cartridges, kind of like Keurig K-Cups, except for hair oils and creams and gels instead of coffee. And those K-cups, those pods, they fit into the tool. You turn the tool on, it very gently warms those products, just like we're supposed to do hot oil treatments and we're supposed to warm up our products, but none of us do because it takes too much time. Well, our tool does that for you. It gets your products nice and warm so that you can get that great penetration. And then it pumps uh, those warmed liquid products out onto your hair. And what's cool about our product is that we have these really cool detangling, uh, detangling uh, bristle plates, and we have um, various. Uh, designs of bristles for different textures of hair um, so that our tool accommodates as many textures as possible. Um, and, you know, it works similar to, I mean, you run it through your hair kind of like you would a flat iron, um, but we don't have those damaging ceramic heated hot plates that damage natural hair. We have, um, you know, our detanglers and our conditioning products that uh, hydrate your hair and nourish your hair. And so if you'd like to see a demonstration, you can go to our website, www.themostcurls.com, um, and you can see exactly how it works and how it keeps your hair nice and healthy. Wow. It sounds like you've done a lot of research into creating an amazing product. So I know you mentioned earlier that a lot of women are uninformed on how to manage their hair and your solution, the mint, it helps with that. Can you describe the process that you went through to validate your idea? I know that you mentioned earlier you spoke with customers, but was there any type of strategy that you had with that process? Yeah, you know, this was such an, I mean, this was like a year long process of validating and just figuring out baseline what the engineering needed to look like in order for it to be efficacious for consumers, uh, investable for investors, uh, you know, worthwhile for retailers. Um, so we did a lot of really deep, deep uh, kind of research in R&D here. We started out with a simple survey, right, just to figure out whether this was going to be worth our time, uh, you know, we sent out a survey to, I don't know, 50 women. Um, and all of those women were like, yes, this is a problem that I want solved. I'd buy this product right now. And we said, okay. Um, and then from there, we did, you know, more surveys and got deeper into the guts, right? How much to figure out exactly where uh, women's pain points were to figure out exactly how much money people were spending on these problems to figure out exactly how much time people were spending uh, on their hair. And then from there, we did even deeper dives, right? So we went from surveys to customer interviews. And we, till this day, we still do very uh, regular customer interviews just to inform any new kind of changes or pivots we're considering. But back then, we were doing really deep dives to understand the nuances of a woman's wash or her all of her routine but definitely her wash day we wanted to understand where over the course of a woman with textured hair's life does she encounter pain points and we saw that it was you know when she goes to the gym when she um obviously when she has her work when she has wash day obviously when she works out uh, when she travels. Uh, and we tried to find a solution that would be as efficacious for all of these pain points as possible. Uh, and then, you know, we, we did a deeper dive into her wash day. Uh, what's What process does she go through? What does, you know, what products does she use? How does she think about her routine? And that was really enlightening because we saw that, you know, within, there's a basic framework that we're all trying to achieve. We're all trying to, you know, uh, cl clarify our hair, really get that gunk off, um, and then get as much hydrating materials into our hair as possible and get as a, a, enough hold so that we can have uh, 
so that we can maintain a style for at least a few days. Uh, that's basically what every woman's trying to do, but the way that women do it is totally different, right? There's some women who do their hydration, you know, d- during their shower. There's some people who get out of the shower and then get back in the shower and rinse. There are people who use shingling. There are people who use raking. There are people who kind of brush, you know, product into their into their hair. So there are all of these different methods that folks are using. And so that's where the challenge was. The challenge was to figure out how to take all of these processes that women are using and mechanize it so that it can be easy and, and repeatable uh, and, and super convenient for women with all kinds of different textures and all kinds of different methods of styling. Yes, that definitely sounds like an amazing approach to learning more about your customer's journey and finding ways to minimize their problems. And one one really cool thing is that you actually developed the hardware for the mints. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the process of developing hardware for products. Like, how did you learn? What are some challenges that you had to overcome and those types of things? Yeah, you know, I'm not an engineer. So, you know, we've talked in the past, I'm a lawyer. I'm not, you know, this isn't, my brain doesn't even, or at least it didn't, it didn't even work the way engineer brains work. And so I had to really uh, dive deep into understanding how products like this get made. What's the manufacturing process? How do we identify the risks? How do we control for those risks over the course of the development process? Um, So basically, you know, I started out really organically. I saw that this was a problem. I saw um, that I really wanted to see a solution, that the people around me wanted to see a solution. And so I started to um, just ideate, right? I did lots of drawings. I drew, and, and I'm not a very good, good artist, so they were messy and unclear and, and kind of crazy. But I started out with just making drawings and trying to think of different constructions that could work to solve this problem. And then from there, you know, I took the one that looked most promising. I went to the CVS. I went to uh, the Ace Hardware and I bought a bunch of materials to see if I could cobble something together that would, you know, do something similar to what I envisioned, right? I wanted to make some kind of product that could crush liquid products into my hair and make that process easier. And so I went out and I got all these tools and soldering irons and, and, and hinges and all kinds of stuff. And I cobbled together this Frankenstein super rudimentary prototype and I tried it on myself. And, and basically what it was, it was two brushes um, with kind of, uh, there were two wet brushes that had uh, a kind of padded insert and I stripped those padded inserts and I inserted um, liquid into, you know, a curl cream into that crevice. And then I reinserted it, glued it back onto the brush paddle. And then I poked holes in it and then I put it on a hinge. So I had two brushes that were kind of facing each other, almost like a flat iron, two arm construction. And I, you know, with this really rudimentary prototype, I just kind of ran it through my hair and I saw, okay, there's a way for us to do this kind of distribution work. But obviously we wouldn't have consumers, you know, stripping a brush pad and inserting their own liquids. Like we have to find a cleaner way to do this. And so from there, I started to consult engineers about what we might be able to do to clean up the process and make uh, this prototype, make the functionality actually convenient to get to. And then, you know, from there, we got to a construction that made sense. And we said, okay. Um, so I, I, I had to, I, I knew that I had to figure out what folks in the industry would think about this. So I started talking to folks in the beauty industry from, you know, big companies, big beauty companies, and just got their initial kind of response um, and, and took their feedback. And that informed our development process. And that was a feedback loop for a while, right? I would get on a train, I would get on a plane, I would go to New York, I would go to Cali. Um, and I would, you know, talk to beauty bosses and see what their thoughts were. And, you know, that would inform our strategy. You know, uh, as I've mentioned, our tool leverages these very cool liquid product pods that come pre-filled with the liquid products of your choice. Well, uh, you know, we figured that out 
by talking to all these beauty bosses and finding um, a construction that really made sense. And so over time, uh, with a lot of editing and a lot of feedback from different sources, I was able to put together a prototype that made sense and was actually functional. And so we just kept doing those iterations and we kept doing different iterations of the product until we got to what's called an MVP. And your listeners know we're, we're looking for that minimal viable product. Um, and we finally got to that place. So, um, the, you know, the, the hardware journey has definitely been tricky. Hardware is always harder. It's harder to get funded. It's even harder to get funded when your hardware is women-centric and women of color-centric. And so it's been an uphill battle and it's been, um, um, you know, a lot of work and a lot of man hours and learning the world of manufacturing and all of the variables that we need to understand to make a fully commercially viable product. But, you know, little by little, bit by bit, um, consultation by consultation, uh, article by article, we got there. Yeah. So your actual MVP or prototype was actually a full physical product versus like, you know, like most technology companies, they can put together like a simple website for an MVP. Yours is like much different given that it's hardware. Yeah, yeah. For for hardware, it's different. Your MVP, you know, you're not going to be able to do some kind of concierge website. You're really going to have to, uh, you know, actually put physical product together. And you know what an MVP looks like for a B two B company is very different from what it looks like for a B two C company. We're very cognizant of the fact that an MVP for B two C it just doesn't work. Like you really have, uh, you really have to think about uh, design, and you really have to think about. Uh, kind of manufacturing and scale issues uh, on a completely different level. And so, you know, what an MVP is for different kinds of companies um, is different. That's a big milestone for us, but we're also very cognizant that, um, you know, getting to a fully commercialized product is a completely different monster. And that's what we're doing now. We've proven, yeah. yeah, we've proven that we can like make the process, we can make this functionality work. Um, but now it's about getting that elevated design and that really, uh, you know, beautiful construction, right? We're looking to make that rocket ship that really gets people moving and gets buyers buying. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you did a lot of talking with like leaders within the beauty industry. I was wondering if you ever attended any of those cool conferences like BeautyCon and those types of things. You know, those conferences cost, and one of the things that oh, yeah, <laughs> they're expensive. One of the things that I had to be really careful about was uh, spending. Um, I actually, you know, liquidated, I had a real estate company before I got into the startup world, and I actually liquidated all of my assets and put it behind development. And I knew oh, that wow. I was gonna have to, yeah, so I had to make that, that money stretch. And so I was very careful, um, you know, not to be wasteful, not to say that those conferences are a waste, but, you know, for where the stage that I was, I wasn't sure that it was going to be the best use of my time. Um, but uh, I listened to a lot of you know podcasts, and one of the hacks that I learned was you know instead of spending the money on airfare and hotels and a ticket, you can get on Twitter. For a lot of these big conferences, all of the big folks are going to be on Twitter tweeting live, um, and you can contact them that way. Like you can almost. Um, feign being at the conference, right? You know what the agenda is going to be and you can, you know, interact with these folks and insert yourself into their conversations in a way that keeps the eyes on your brand and starts the right conversations with the right people uh, without actually having to spend the money. So that's been my, uh, that's been my tactic uh, to, to date. Okay. Yeah. And so just so I'm not confused, hardware is like a type of technology that powers a physical product, right? That's right. That's right. So when we're talking about hardware, we're talking about, think of Fitbit, think of uh, Keurig, think of even companies like Bevel. So um, hardware can look a lot of different ways. Hardware might be tech enabled, like a Keurig that has a little computer inside of it. Or you might be talking about something like uh, Tristan Walker's Bevel, which um, has doesn't have tech, right? Like it's his shaver, it's a shaver. Uh, but but it's still include. It's a physical product that has to be designed and manufactured, and has to come off of a factory floor. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how developing your own hardware fits into like the supply chain cycle. 
Yeah, I mean, the supply chain cycle is kind of part and parcel to the hardware development process. You can't really, like, it doesn't really fit, right? Like, that is the whole game. Um, So a big part of what we do, a big part of what we do is constantly being on the lookout for uh, a better manufacturer with better pricing, with better terms, who is more adept at, you know, helping us with connect all the dots between customs and shipping and just all the kind of pieces of this puzzle. And so, you know, um, you know, making sure that we have contacts with manufacturers who can source the best materials at the lowest prices. That's a big part of this game. Uh, making sure that we have uh, engineers who aren't just really good at engineering, but who understand our target market who understand what's going to move a woman of color with highly textured hair what's going to make her say wow i gotta have this um and all that you know goes into your your supply chain right who are you using for your engineering team who are you using for your manufacturing team uh you know what kinds of logistics services are you using all of that really um all those dots are really kind of part and parcel of the hardware development process yeah, so we talked a, a little bit about you finding a problem for your startup and then you developing a solution and also validating that idea. And then we also went a little deeper and talked about you actually developing your physical product or, or your MVP. So can you talk a little bit about the development of your go-to-market strategy? Like, what was it like taking action to acquire customers? Yeah, so that's been really tricky for us, right? Because we, for a long time, we didn't even have a a prototype that we could actually show folks. Like I said, you know, in the beginning, I had some cobbled together Frankenstein monstrosity. Um, I couldn't show that to people. How do I get people interested in this? How do I get people uh, to, you know, rally around this without even having something that I can show them? And so initially, this was about talking to my consumers in a way that I knew no big brand could. L'Oreal's got infinitely more financial resources than I do. Uh, Shea Moisture has infinitely more resources than I do. But I knew that I could talk to this very specific issue better than anybody else out there. And so that's what I did. That's what I had. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, you know, would, you know, engage folks online about their wash days and uh, how difficult it is for them to travel and how difficult it can be for black women runners uh, to get that good run in uh, and, and then have to deal with their hair afterwards. Um, you know, I talked to black professional women who were trying to, you know, uh, build their careers and get into work early and work those late nights, but then also fit in the three hours for hair styling. Uh, you know, I talked to the black women moms who had two or three kids whose hair they had to find time to style. Uh, I knew that I could speak to those issues better than anyone else on the market. And so that's what I leaned on for really the first year uh, that we were, that we launched on social media. Um, We just, you know, built trust and, and let people know, look, we understand what you're going through better than anyone else. Um, and we, and we took them along the journey with us. Uh, eventually we got to a place with our prototypes where we could start to put out pictures. And then we got up to a place where we could, first we started with renderings. Then we started with rudimentary prototype mock-ups. Then we had our MVP. Then we started really thinking about uh, all of the design kind of iterations that this could take. And we started really kind of building the dream for people. And, and in that way, our community has been able to come a- along this journey with us. And that has been, I mean, hugely, hugely helpful for us. And so, you know, that to me says, uh, our experience says to me that you can do a lot with a little. Um, we've been able to build up almost I guess at this point we're over 10,000 between our email lists and our 
social media channels, we've got like 10,000 people behind us who've organically oh, wow. to our site, who've organically gotten to our funnel and said, you know, I want to sign up for this. I want to support you guys. And so um, that to me is really amazing. Um, and even though, like I said, I'm funding all most of this uh, bootstrapped, uh, we started over the past, you know, six to nine months to bring in investments. But um, most of this has been has been bootstrapped and we've been able to do so much just by really speaking to people's problems and speaking to people's pain, like I said, in a way that we knew no one else on the market could. And then beyond that, you know, when we think about our go-to-market strategy more generally, that's been about bringing on the right advisors, right? So, you know, I've been able to do a lot by myself with a little, but at a certain point, you got to build a team. And we've built the right team with the right advisors, Jane Carter, Jane Carter Solutions, um, one of the first black women in big box retail. I mean, an OG in the natural hair game. Um, She's on our team and she is just super psyched to see us realize this vision. And so She's kind of architected our go-to-market strategy with other brands and bought other brands into our funnel. And we're starting to have those conversations about what those brand partnerships can look like down the line um, and starting to kind of have uh, conversations with big box retailers about kind of how they see rolling this out. Um, and that's kind of organically how, it, well, I guess it's half organic and half um, inorganic. So part of this has just been bringing people into our funnel who are intrinsically excited about making this happen. Um, and then uh, from there, it's a more deliberate deliberate strategy to kind of nail down what that go-to-market is going to look like uh, and how strategically you can get this in as many hands as possible. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I'll say like one of the cool things about COVID-19 is that it has caused a large shift to digital. And I know that currently one of your channels is e-com. So I was wondering, like, how did you go about selecting your channels? I know you also mentioned um, large retailers as a potential um, channel. So like, can you talk a little bit about how did you decide which channel would be best for the most? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I spoke earlier excuse me, I spoke earlier about um, customer interviews and yeah. uh, we never stopped doing that, right? Like a lot of companies have customer interviews in the beginning and they validate that initial product, but then they kind of lose sight of their customer. We've never lose, lost sight of our customer. And so every chance we get, every DM we get, every time somebody comes to us and says, yo, I love this product. I need this in my life. You know, we take that as an opportunity to engage. Yo, can we get on the phone with you for 10 minutes and just kind of tell you about what we're doing and we're where we're going and uh, get your, you know, your feelings on that. And so um, throughout COVID, that's exactly what we did. We stayed in touch with our consumers and we said, hey guys, uh, you know, we know everybody's feeling it right now. Folks can't get into their salons. Tell us what you need. Tell us what you'd like to see from us. What can we do? Um, and what we saw was there were lots of liquid product brands out there, which was great. Um, but at the end of the day, the issue that people are having right now is trying to figure out the process of styling. They were trying to figure out um, how do we make this easier for ourselves? And so um, we responded to that by opening up uh, both a content marketing uh, or a content platform, a paid content platform, uh, where we hold classes. You know, we bring in influencers, we bring in celebrity hairstylists, and we teach our community how to do the things that they're having trouble with right now. How do you get the juiciest wash day ever when you can't get into a salon? How do you trim your hair when you can't get into your salon? Um, you know, how do you get that hydration uh, that you've been looking for? And so we hold these seminars um, and we pay, we ask people to pay a small amount, $5, $10, depending on the length and the topic. And, uh, and yeah, we try to give people the education that they're looking for. And then in the interim, while we're commercializing our tailored uh, technology, the most mint, we're going out there, we're finding the technology that already exists that hasn't been marketed to black women. And we're bringing that to black women at price points that people can stomach uh, during, you know, uncertain times like the ones we're facing now during COVID. So 
uh, that's kind of how we've been thinking about it. Um, and again, it's been, you know, how we made that decision is really just listening to our consumers. It's listening to our community. And when they tell us that they need something and when we see a trend, when we see 10 people, 20 people, 30 people saying the same things every time uh, we release a newsletter, uh, that says to us, all right, there's something here that your consumers need. Even though this wasn't in your original plan, let's figure out how we can connect the dots, provide people with that solution, but also use it uh, to kind of fuel the business forward in the right direction. So, so yeah, that's how we've thought about it so far. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about content commerce because it is really big right now for retailers and also consumer-based good, goods companies. So like, how has that experience been with like launching your content platform? Yeah, I mean, content's really interesting. For us, it's about it's about connecting the dots and making everything do double and triple duty, right? So initially, when we first started doing content, um, it was really disconnected from the rest of our business model. We were we we weren't doing it the right way. We were just kind of going live randomly, and we didn't really have a business. Uh, reason for that live. We didn't really connect it to our e-commerce store. We weren't really connecting it to whatever else we had going on. Um, But over time, we refined that process and we figured out how to make uh, a paid content strategy work to fuel the rest of your business. And so, for example, we may have a celebrity stylist come on and teach people how to get their best wash day. Um, And when that celebrity stylist is talking about, uh, say, the detangling process, we can pause reroute everybody to the e-commerce store and say, hey, you know, we've got these really great detangling options. No matter what your price point is, uh, we've got, you know, a tool that may work for you and make that process easier. And then you cut back uh, to the content, you cut back to your celeb stylist and let them keep going. Um, You know, it's about using these, uh, these content opportunities as opportunities to build relationships. It's about uh, you know bringing people into our funnel who we know we want to work with five years, 10 years down the line, a year down the line. Uh, and so uh, you know all of these, everything we do now, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's uh, a paid content uh, event, whether it's uh, you know uh, bringing on a new onboarding a new product, whether it's you know our newsletter, whatever it is, every single one of these pieces of the puzzle has to connect to the rest of your business strategy. So, uh, so so yeah, it, it, paid content is really it's tricky and it's a lot of work when you're doing it uh, the right way. But that work upfront pays dividends on so many uh, in, in so many facets of your business. That content ends up not just being about content, but it becomes about marketing. It becomes about revenue generation. It becomes about business development. It becomes about uh, sourcing feedback from your community to inform your your strategy going forward. Uh, so yeah, content has been, uh, it's definitely been a, a, a big piece of the puzzle that we've had to drill down on and learn. Um, but the one, when you get it right, and we're still kind of learning and refining, but uh, as we get better at this, uh, it's really paid a lot of dividends for us. Yeah, and throughout this conversation, you've really hit on the nail how important customers are in ensuring that they have a great experience. I know that business isn't just strictly numbers, but are there any like key KPIs that you track, whether it's related to like e-commerce, financial, and or customers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're really interested in our website right now. Um, we just recently redesigned our website, www.themostcurve.com. Would love to see you guys there. Um, and yeah, we, we're really drilling down on, you know, um, our users, our page views. Um, we're kind of using different platforms to uh, evaluate how people are using our website. Where do they get caught up? Where are the problem areas? Where are they getting kicked out or, or not kicking out, but like voluntarily losing, uh, leaving the site? Um, you know, where are those, 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 those pain points where we lose our audience? And so that's been really big for us. Obviously, as we've kind of opened this uh, e-commerce uh, platform, KPIs around revenue and revenue generation are really informative for us. Um, but, but I think 
more than obviously we're interested in revenue. Uh, obviously we're interested in profits, but we're also really interested in getting into the mind of our consumer and understanding how they use um, our platforms. Right? Where's our Where's our traffic coming from? Is it coming from Google? Is it coming from Instagram? Is it coming from Facebook? Is it coming from that ad? Uh, you know, is it coming from our newsletter? We want to understand how you know what tools we have resonate with our consumer and, uh, you know, how they're using our platforms once they get on there. And we know, again, we're tracking revenues, but more than that, uh, we know that kind of drilling down on these pain points and understanding how our customer thinks uh, automatically results in kind of, you know, higher uh, outcomes and higher yields in every way, including revenue. And so we're really trying to pay attention to that right now. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. And one really cool thing is that you've recently joined Sephora's Accelerator. So I was wondering, well, yeah, one, congratulations on that. That's like a very big deal. Thank you. But no problem. And I was wondering, like, how did you determine that joining an accelerator was right for you? Yeah, you know, accelerators accelerators are controversial a little bit, right? Like some people are like, you know, why would I spend six months in this accelerator when I can just work on my business and actually see real product, real real progress? Um, you know, I'm very cognizant of the fact that our team is black. I'm a black woman founder and CEO. I uh, am a lawyer, but I don't come from like. I definitely didn't practice any kind of business law or anything that related to the hair or beauty industry. Um, our entire 90% of our team is black women. Uh, 90% of our team, uh, we've got a couple of folks, a few folks who have a tech background, but for the most part, many folks uh, that work with us are just very, very passionate about making this product work. And even though they have deep expertise in, say, marketing or operations or what have you, uh, we don't have those credentials. And I know your audience knows what I mean, uh, that folks really perk up at. Like, we, we can't say that we had, you know, we have alumni from Twitter and, and Google and, you know, all these kind of tech behemoths behind us. You know, we don't have any Stanford business grads on our team. And so we're very cognizant of the fact that while our company is very unique in this space, and in many ways, what we're going to have to do to succeed is going to diverge very sharply from everyone else's template. Uh, we're also very conscious of the fact that we have to be educated and we have to, like, we can't afford not to cross our cross our T's and dot our I's. Um, so we, education is a big piece of this puzzle. Um, and short of going back to school and spending 150K on an MBA, the best way to get that is, uh, and quite frankly, I don't even think an MBA would be the, the most would would provide the most concentrated value. Perhaps it would provide credentials, but uh, in terms of getting concentrated value, the best way to get that is through accelerators. And so last year, um, we did four accelerators over the course of the year. Um, and each of those accelerators, you know, we're not just doing these programs willy nilly. We're very uh, deliberate about what the chinks in our armor are. And then we spend, we take six weeks or we take eight, eight weeks and we spend time in those accelerators really boning up on what we don't already know. So our first accelerator program was called uh, MindHive. It was a hardware and IP focused uh, uh, focused accelerator. Then we did Founder Gym uh, to really drill down on fundraising. Then we did 1863 Ventures, which helped us uh, on the operations side. And then we did Y Combinator to really kind of understand a lot of the language and rubric and and connect connect the dots at a at a at a higher level. Um, and so again, we've been very deliberate about our accelerators thus far. Um, and and this year our goal was to level up, right? So we don't want to do smaller accelerators. We want to do the accelerators that are really going to propel us in the space. And so we are actually finishing up one accelerator program called NextFab. It's one of the most elite hardware programs in the country. Um, and we're really grateful to have been welcomed into that circle. And that's been really validating. You know, we're working with uh, all of the other folks in, in my cohort are engineers. And... 
everybody else in my cohort, you know, has really been able to not only have the facilitators and the teachers been able to teach and mentor us, but the folks actually in my cohort have just imparted so much knowledge. Uh, and then and then Sephora uh, is a huge win for us, and we're so grateful for them, uh, not just for letting us in, but also for seeing the value in solving this problem um, and valuing these women of color uh, customers that, that we target. And, uh, and, and that's been really exciting. We're just starting up with Sephora and, uh, you know, getting paired with Sephora mentors and getting paired with kind of buyers and experts in the beauty industry who can really help us, uh, kind of propel things forward. And so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how we think about it. I believe accelerators have to be really deliberate. You can't just do it just to do it. You have to put some thought behind it and understand what you need. Yeah. I didn't even know it was that many types of accelerators. That's pretty cool to learn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tons of that stuff out there. Yeah. And so another cool thing that you are a part of is the Vanita project where you serve as a director. Can you tell us a little bit about how you help female founders through this organization? Yeah, so thanks for for bringing this up because this is a a cause that's near and dear to my heart. Um, So the Veneta Project is a 501c3 that connects uh, women uh, tech founders, high growth potential tech founders to capital and other resources uh, to help them grow. And basically what we're trying to do here is find some equity in the space for women founders. And this uh, is just such a big part of my ethos um, I, you know, as a founder, I've, I've just kind of been in these circles and I hear people talking about, you know, what they're going to do, uh, when they get their exit, when they make it big, then they're going to come back and they're going to invest in all of these founders and they're going to right the wrongs. Um, but the reality of the situation is, uh, we can't get there. We can't get to a place where we're getting all these great exits and everybody's making it big until, uh, folks in the ecosystem start to see women and underrepresented founders as uh, real viable CEOs and real viable founders. And so, uh, you know, I endeavor, uh, over the course of my founder career, um, to always carve out time for, uh, for for these causes. And so over the course of the past few years, I've worked with uh, organizations like Startups Ignite, which is a kind of local uh, grassroots organization that supports folks who are uh, kind of really early stage and helps them ideate and figure out how to get uh, from point A to point B. Then uh, I've also worked with Black Girl Ventures um, to support Black women founders in particular. I'm a Black woman, right? So that's really important for me. Um, And then, you know, what I found was uh, their organizations, we've got, we've got in, in the ecosystem, we need more. Uh, But for the most part, from what I've seen, we've got more kind of grassroots organizations that are already doing that work to help, you know, really early stage founders ideate and get to that first or second step. Um, But what I feel like is missing in the space is, uh, you know, those organizations that help you get from point B to point C. Um, and that's what Veneta Project is for me, right? So Veneta Project kind of takes it up a notch. And we're taking those those founders who have gotten from point A to point B, and they've proven uh, their, they, they've, they've gotten product market fit, uh, they've proven their concept, they're getting traction, uh, you know, they've got the right team, they've got the the bones in place, they've got the, the makings of a great startup, but they don't have the support behind them and they don't have the, the, the investment that they need uh, to put fuel on that fire. Uh, and so that's what the Veneta Project does and, it, and this organization, you know, they do it really well. And so I wanted to be a part of that and help propel that in any way that I could. So I always uh, and will always carve out a portion of my time uh, to contribute to the space and equity issues in the space. And that's what Veneta Project 
uh, does. And I'm just really proud of the work that we've been able to do over COVID. Um, you know, a lot of our programs are in person. A lot of what we do is cultivating and curating uh, those in-person relationships between founders and the right VCs for them. Um, but in COVID, we've had to, you know, change that. How do we keep a strong community? How do we continue to build those bonds and build those relationships when everything is done virtually? Um, and we're really starting to uh, find our virtual stride. And I'm just, I'm very proud of the work that we've done over the past few months to uh, turn the ship around and make sure that all of our founders who have such great potential don't lose that potential during COVID. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you, through the Veneta Project, you help women find equity. So like what what is like a piece of advice that you would give to someone looking to raise funding based off of your experience, experience and expertise? Yeah, you know, this is a tricky time. Uh, yeah. It's just, that's what it is. But the fact of the matter is there are still people who are funding, uh, who are, who are funding, uh, startups, right? Like there are VCs out there with the dry powder and their, their job, uh, you know, the way they're set up, they have to find, uh, they have to keep investing. They have to keep that pipeline, uh, robust in order to, um, you know, service their LPs a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, we still, they still need deal flow. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got a really great company that's that's got the traction and, and that has all the pieces of the puzzle, um, there are folks out there who are willing to listen and and who are willing to invest. And of course, the likelihood of your getting investment right now uh, goes up to the extent that you can show that uh, your business model makes sense for COVID. And so I think anything that you can do to, uh, you know, show that you're servicing people in a way that's relevant for the environment that we're facing right now, that's definitely a big boon for you. Um, but, and, and then also to the extent that you're maybe not like, let's say that you're still going out there, you're hitting the pavement, but you're just not getting the traction. Uh, there's still opportunity here, right? Like this is a really great opportunity for us as founders to take a pause and say, okay, uh, you know, how is my environment changing and how can I tweak my business model to better serve uh, these new conditions? Because we all know uh COVID won't be what it's been for the past couple of months, always, but we are going to see some kind of uh, long-term changes to our just urban and suburban landscapes. It's not going to look the way it's always it's always looked. And so, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for you to pause, uh, for you to make some changes, and to show investors that you have what it takes uh, to think critically about business challenges and attack them. And so that might mean, uh, you know, adding products that are more relevant for COVID to your offering. That might mean, uh, you know, starting to do more uh, digital content and digital marketing to serve uh, an audience that's more digital focused right now. Um, it can mean a lot of different things, but the point is at the end of this, right? Uh, six months from now, a year from now, when folks are a little bit more comfortable, right? We may not have gotten back to, to normal per se. We may not have gotten back to the way it was before, but we're going to get to a point where uh, the uncertainty has, has, has dissolved a bit. And it's really going to be important for you to be able to show as a founder that you were able to think through those issues. You were able to make changes to your business. You were able to uh, not just keep things going, but thrive during this time. And so, uh, you know, to be quite frank, uh, it's been through these conversations that I've had with investors through the Veneta project uh, that's informed our pivot. That's informed our uh, new e-commerce marketplace at the most that's informed our paid content strategy. Um, we saw that folks were really drawn to companies who can show uh, that they can respond to new circumstances. And so that's what we've done. And uh, uh, I encourage anyone else who uh, can, can identify that opportunity to do so. 
Yes, definitely. Thank you for that advice. And I guess our last question is centered around education. You mentioned throughout the call, education and learning as a founder and as a startup ecosystem builder, builder is very important. So what are some resources that you recommend for someone new to the startup landscape or someone looking to build their own company? Yeah, I would. There's so many out there. And at the end of the day, um, you got to find the voice that resonates with you. Uh, you know, a lot of people like to say, like, you have to start with, you know, Secrets of Sand Hill Road, a book that, you know, a lot of folks in, in VC swear by. Yeah, that's a really great book. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to find a voice that resonates with you. And so if that means going to John Henry from Harlem Capital's page and following his content, uh, if that means, you know, going Going to Gary Vaynerchuk. He's not, you know, startup specific per se, but if that helps you get a handle on what you need to do uh, for your marketing strategy, uh, you got to find the voices that speak to you and that you can really, um, and that you can really follow long term. Uh, and so, I would say that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, and I would say, you know, in order to make this happen, you have to be fully inundated in it. Uh, and so for me, that's about filling my entire day with educational resources. When I wake up, um, I'm one of those people, I have to hear something in the morning. I don't turn on the TV, but I turn on my podcast or I turn on my audiobooks. Uh, and so that to me means those first 15 minutes where I'm just kind of brushing my teeth, washing my face and, uh, you know, filling up that time with audio that is is, um, you know, educating me on something that I need to brush up on. Uh, that means making sure that the book I'm reading on my way to bed is something that fills in a gap, right? It might be about marketing. It might be about management. It might be about, you know, maybe Ben Horowitz's uh, new book, like who knows what it is, but it's something that, that helps ground me, right? And I believe that we've got to be a completely um, inundated, uh, in order to build a, a great company, you've got to be completely immersed in this space. And so every moment that you can, right. Whether that's while you're washing dishes, whether it's putting in your, 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 eye, your, your, your phone pods while you're vacuuming, uh, and, and listening to something, whether that's, you know, watching a documentary instead of, you know, watching uh, the new Netflix show, um, I would say focus on making those small tweaks so that throughout your day, you're constantly uh, learning. Uh, and, and when learning becomes a lifestyle, right, um, you just, you'd be shocked by how much you can learn and how much progress you can make make over the course of six months in a year, right? I came to the space knowing nothing. I didn't know what a startup was. I literally did not know. I couldn't have defined a startup. I knew that it was something that happened out in Silicon Valley. I knew that it was, you know, Uber and Facebook had been one of them, but or, or two examples of them, but I, I, I couldn't have defined a startup. Um, and, and two years later, I'm leading uh, a, a regional organization and, you know, getting funding and, and growing my business. So, you know, you can do a lot with a, a six months, a year um, of concentrated learning and just making learning a part of your lifestyle. Over time, you, you can't help but, uh, but, but gain the expertise and fill in these gaps that you might have. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes by Erica Badu is, the man that knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. Amen. So, <laughs> yeah. So, well, Don, thank you so much for your time and knowledge and also just taking the risk because you mentioned you like put all of your funds into building this company. So taking the risk to make women's lives better with your company and then also like the things that you do in your volunteer time. And I also really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, like, rate, and share this episode with a friend.